We're going to continue in our study of the book of John. And as some of you know, uh, we kind of played with our schedule just a little bit. Uh, by I uh, had Glenn teach last Sunday so that we could actually be on the resurrection story uh, today. Uh, we've been going through the book of John verse by verse uh, for well over a year. And we're getting close to getting finished with the book of John. It's pretty exciting to know that we're going to be done and we're going to be moving on. So probably in another month we'll be moving into the book of Acts is what we're going to be doing next. So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. And I know probably a lot of you uh, grew up uh, with a church background, maybe most of you. And you remember what Easter was like when you were growing up, that everyone dressed up. Uh, I was thinking this morning, not a single Easter bonnet in the whole group. You know, Easter bonnets were big when I was growing up, uh, back in the, you know. <laughs> uh, there was even songs written about that. Do you remember that? Me and my Easter bonnet with all the frills upon it. It's pretty sad that I still remember that song, actually. But... No Easter bonnets, because times have changed, haven't they? We just don't do that as much anymore. But uh, the question before us today would be, why are we here? You and me, why are we here? For, for some of us, maybe it's just the one or two Sundays a year that we come to church. For some of us, maybe it's because, well, we just feel like we should be here. It's Easter, right? After all. Maybe it's because... It pleases someone else in our in our lives. Uh, you know, what if Mama isn't happy, there ain't nobody happy. You know that whole thing. Uh, maybe you're here for that reason. Maybe it just it makes us feel better about ourselves, just being in church on on Easter. And maybe it's because we know that we do actually have something to celebrate on this particular day. Amen. So, what is Resurrection Sunday? What does the resurrection mean? Why are we here today? Why do we celebrate? Why do we have to celebrate? Well, if you've attended this church or Calvary Chapel for any length of time, you know that we focus on, we rely upon, for our source of information, is the Bible. We teach through the Bible verse by verse. We look very closely at the biblical account, God's word, God's truth. We believe that it is 100% truth. No error whatsoever. Everything that's contained in God's word is 100% truth. And that's why we teach it verse by verse. That's why we take the time to go through it verse by verse. It's the source of information we use for all that we stand for and believe in. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, some of you are probably familiar with this verse, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a promise in there for us, isn't there? It doesn't say you might be or you could be. It says you will be saved. So the end goal of this verse that Paul has captured for us is what? To be what? Saved, right? And the end condition of this verse, saved, is predicated upon the two things leading up to it. 
confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then what happens if you obey those two things? You will be saved. So confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Simply put, it's agreeing with Jesus that he is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And he's done what he says he's done. In God's word, he said he is the Messiah. The Messiah, the one who would come and save the people. Save them from what? Well, in that day, Jesus' day, most believed that he would save the people from the bondage of Rome. That he would come as a conquering king. We know that as we were studying through the book of John, that there was a time that the people actually wanted to come and take him and make him king. And he kind of escaped out of their presence during that time. Jesus was great at that, wasn't he? Wouldn't it be so cool to be able to do that? You know, just escape out of people's presence. You're there and then you're not there. Well, where'd he go? I don't know, but he's gone. So he would be coming as a conquering king, they thought, much like David. But it's not what he did, is it? He came as a suffering servant, a suffering savior. To save. To save from what? Sin. Little three-letter word that we're all, for the most part, familiar with, aren't we? Don't even really need to give a definition of sin. We know what it is. It's just disobedience, isn't it? To what God would have us do. You can also remember that an angel came to Joseph in a dream and told him that Mary would give birth to a son in Matthew 1.21. And she will bring forth a son and you should call his name Jesus for what? He will save his people from their sins. That mission, that goal that God had for Jesus, his ministry was to come to this earth and save people from their sins. So God sent the Savior, the Messiah, to save people from their sins. Well, what sins? Well, there's a whole list of them, isn't there? I bet if I just handed around a piece of paper this morning and had you guys all write down sins that you committed even in the past week, maybe on your way here this morning even, (laughs) Uh, it would be a laundry list of sins, different types, different things, but bottom line, it's still what? Sin. The sin is sin, period. In the Old Testament, we know that God laid down some laws. To obey these laws was obedience to God. To not obey these laws was sin. But the people couldn't keep all of the laws. The people disobeyed. They sinned again and again. And in some ways, it sounds unfair, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like a setup. God was going to give all these laws, knowing we couldn't keep them. What's up with that? That would be like telling your kids the same thing, right? I'm going to tell you that you need or you have to do these things, and if you don't do them, you're in trouble. Well, it's a setup, isn't it, parents? But there's still things that are good for the kids, right? Still things that we would want them to do or not want them to do. So it was with God. He loved us so much that he gave us these laws to help keep us focused, to help keep the children of Israel focused but also so that it would prove what? Their dependency upon God, right? That they're sinners. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul talks about the law. He said the law was given in the Old Testament 
for the purpose of being our tutor to show us that we disobey and that we are sinners, to show us that we can't do it on our own. In your minds today, if you just think about the Ten Commandments and those of those commandments that you may have broken. Now, hopefully there's some of them that we haven't, but yet others, yeah, thou shalt not steal. How many of you have stolen from anyone? Yeah. You ever cheated on your time at work? You were stealing. Uh, you ever cheated on anything? You were stealing, you know. So, in all honesty, we can say, yes, that's certainly probably one that we've, that we've broken, right? And if we've broken just one, we've, we've broken that covenant, right, completely, that God had laid down for those laws. So, something needs to be done. The only way to be right before God was to have faith in the promised Messiah that God was going to send, that was prophesied. And we know, certainly, as we've gone through John, he did send him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He came, he lived a sinless life, was crucified on the cross for us. Why? Because we are sinners. He died for us. He died for our sins. He was the perfect sinless sacrifice. The only sacrifice acceptable by God for our sins. So we know Jesus died on the cross. He was resurrected. God basically saying, this is an accepted sacrifice for the sins of the world. Come back up here with me. So back to Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Simply put, agreeing with Jesus that he is who he said he is, he did what he said he would do. So what is it that we have to confess? Well, start with... I confess that I'm a sinner. Right? We can all say that, can't we? I confess that Jesus died for my sins. There's two confessions that hold <laughs> volumes, right? Could be written about just those two things. I'm a sinner, and he died for my sins. But it doesn't stop there. In that verse, the verse says that I must also believe in my heart God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we know, as we've studied through John, Jesus predicted that very thing again and again himself, that he would be resurrected, that he would rise from the dead. You might remember, as we studied early on in John, that three years before he was raised, actually raised from the dead, the following exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders occurred, John chapter 2. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show up to us since you do these things? They were always looking for signs and wonders and miracles. They wanted those sorts of things. Now, Jesus was doing those things, but very rarely in the presence of the religious leaders, right? Yeah, there may have been a few of them around, but they're kind of putting, putting him on the spot. You ever, you ever have someone that, you know, a family or a friend that you consider to be funny, more, more like a comedian, and they're basically going, hey, be funny. That's hard to do right on the spot for us, isn't it? It's hard to, oh, the pressure. I've got to be funny all of a sudden, you know. For Jesus, that was never the problem, right? He could perform miracles anytime that he wanted to. He was God. But when these guys were asking, they were asking for all the wrong reasons. So Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
And then the Jews said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So these religious leaders of the day were looking for signs and wonders, miracles. And they, when they were asking for a specific sign, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except of the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we can find encouragement from that verse when there are those that want to say, uh, really, the big fish story. How many times have we heard a big fish story, right? How many times have we told a big fish story? And so you think, well, it's just this story in the Old Testament. That can't possibly be true. Jesus himself is referring to that, saying that it actually happened. So will the Son of Man excuse me, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And during the last six months of his earthly life, we know that Jesus emphasized the importance and the necessity of his upcoming crucifixion as well as the triumph of his resurrection. Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. So all of these verses, it's Jesus himself proclaiming what was going to take place. Jesus predicts not only his crucifixion in this particular verse, but also his resurrection. Not only that it would happen, but when it would happen. Three days after his crucifixion. He's prophesying this is going to take place, this is when it's going to take place. Now we've heard over the years, many times when we've seen different individuals prophesy about something that's going to take place, right? The end of the world. Remember Harold's camping some years ago. The end of the world is coming. It's going to happen on this date. Well, we know that Scripture says what? No one knows the hour of the day, so it's obviously not going to happen on that date because he said it was going to happen on that date. It's just not going to happen. But when Jesus says something's going to happen and when it's going to happen, we can rest assured it's going to happen. It's going to take place. Jesus also made the amazing claim that he had the authority to accomplish the resurrection himself. John chapter 10, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the, the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it again. Now we know that the predictions by Jesus of his resurrection were also common knowledge. He was never shy about sharing that. It wasn't just known by his close, tight group of disciples. He proclaimed that fairly regularly to larger crowds. And it led the religious rulers to ask Pontius Pilate to secure the tomb after his crucifixion and burial. So Jesus has died on the cross. The body has been prepared by Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. He's placed in the tomb, and it says in Matthew chapter 27, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, 
we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Notice what they call him there. How that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. So they're referring to the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. They thought that was a big deception. And now this deception would be even greater if someone came in and stole the body and said, he rose from the dead. But we know Jesus himself predicted his own resurrection. It was going to happen because he predicted it, and he was, and he is always 100% truth. We can rest in that. Romans 10, 9 again, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're to believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead. The second of the two contingencies on being saved from our sin. Believe in our heart God raised him from the dead. So John chapter 20. Remember how I had mentioned earlier that we were actually going to look at John chapter 20? <laughs> well, we're there. <laughs> so let's read John chapter 20, the first 10 verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So, first day of the week, Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb early. She went with spices to anoint the body of Jesus, we know. It's still dark, and when she gets there, she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. We know from the other gospel accounts that an angel came and rolled it away from the tomb. Why? To let Jesus out? No. <laughs> to let them in, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't have a problem getting out of the tomb on his own. But then she ran back and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. We've seen this before in John's gospel. John refers to himself as the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he went to Simon Peter and John, said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. They both ran together. And John captures something here that's really interesting, isn't it? And the other disciple, me, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Captured for us for all eternity, John saying, I'm faster than Peter. Is that the case? Is he faster than Peter or was Peter just that 
big old fisherman guy that was just, you know, his gait was something different, just didn't quite get there as fast. But John captures that for us, and I think that that's funny. You know, one of those things that you can mark on your list, we get to heaven, John, how far ahead of him were you? I mean, it's like, is Peter, like, really that slow? Does he run like a girl? Shouldn't have said that. Because <laughs> there are girls that I know that are faster than me. So we'll cut that out of the recording later on. <laughs> Verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. That's interesting, too, that John, you know, he gets to the tomb first. He looks in, for whatever reason, doesn't go on in the tomb. We don't know why, necessarily, but Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. I tend to think maybe it's because, you know, he had all that weight moving forward, and he didn't even, couldn't even stop, you know, just kind of right on into the tomb. We know the reasons why. We know the scene that took place when Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter wanted to know what was going on, so he goes into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. As I was looking at some information this week, I found something that was kind of interesting. Maybe some of you have heard it before, but it was a custom in those days, maybe still is, in Jewish tradition, but I believe also even for us in our own country, that as we sat down to eat a meal, when we're done, we're done. We just kind of wad the handkerchief up and throw it aside, don't we? When we're not done, we kind of neatly place it somewhere as if to say what? I'm coming back. You know, I just need a breather. <laughs> I'm going to walk around the house a few times. I'm going to come back in and finish this meal. Not quite done yet. It's not, I'm coming back. And so this could have been what, what is going on there as well. We don't know for sure, but a neatly folded handkerchief laid aside from the other linen cloths. What did it mean exactly? We don't know, but we do know this. He was coming back. Amen? Verse 8, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, John, went in also, and the text says he saw and believed. He saw and believed. What? Well, the evidence. He believed what he saw. No body, gone, empty, a tomb, undisturbed, linen still intact. The body had not been stolen, as some would later surmise. It makes no sense at all, does it? Let's look at this fact alone. All the things that we could talk about when it comes to the resurrection, here's what John has to say. He makes mention of the fact the linens, they're laid neatly in this handkerchief, the head covering folded and, and laid in a place by itself. And it says what? He saw and he believed. Now think about this for a second. No one stealing the body would take the time to unwrap it, would they? That doesn't make any sense at all. If you're going to steal the body, get it out of there and move on, right? So they would have taken the body with the burial cloths as well as quickly as they could. Get out of there. 
And then even if they had unwrapped the body of its linens, they certainly wouldn't have taken the time to place all the linens neatly in place again, would they? That makes no sense. Yet the linens that Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had so meticulously prepared with the spices, documented for us as we looked at last week in John chapter 19, those linens were, were still there in place, but there was no body in them. Now that should conjure up all sorts of pictures for us graphically of what that looked like. Was it still in the form of the body? Just no body in there? Was it flattened out in the tomb in the form of the body? Just no body in there? We don't know. Another thing we can ask when we get to heaven, right? But what is interesting is the fact that there was no body there and the linens were still very neatly in place. So the whole stolen theory, it just makes no sense based on the facts that we have just in these few short verses, right? There was another theory out there called the swoon theory where Jesus really didn't die on the cross. He just kind of fainted, was out of it. And then he came to in the cold, damp tomb. It revived him and he came to. And then he got out of his burial clothes without messing them up somehow. The logic is just nuts when you look at it, right? You know, you're, how do you even start? I'm, I'm looking at it practically, okay? How do you even start to unwrap? You know, do you roll off, just hoping one part would come loose? and then yeah, It just makes no sense at all, does it? When you look at it practically, it makes no sense. Swoon theory. So much for the, you know, the spear in the side. You know, puncturing the heart, as we talked about before. <laughs> Swoon. I don't think so. Stolen. No, no. In verse 8, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, the author of this gospel, an eyewitness to the scene, does what? What does John do? How does he respond? It says he saw and he believed. The evidence is overwhelming if you believe. If we believe God's word is 100% truth, then we have to believe what it says in regards to this, the body was gone. He wasn't there. And then you couple that with all of the prophecies, all of the statements that Jesus made himself about the resurrection, and you go, he rose from the dead, period. There's no other way to even look at it, as far as I'm concerned. You could twist the story any way that you want, but if you're going to accept God's word as truth, that's the only way that it can be. Jesus said he would do it, and he did it. And the question is, is do we believe it? Do we believe his word? Do we believe his promises? So what is the purpose of our coming together on this day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Is it just to dress up and to go out with lunch with friends and family? To feel good about ourselves that we've been in church on Easter? What about you on this day as we celebrate the Resurrection Sunday? Do you see the evidence? Do you believe? The evidence is overwhelming, isn't it? In Ephesians chapter 2, and this is the New Living Translation. I, I just like the way that it's worded here. 
It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, two key words for us always, isn't it? But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that he, even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you me by his grace when we believe and you and I can't take credit for this it's a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast in it can we Romans 10 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved Confessing with her mouth, Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he would do. Believing in our heart, God raised him from the dead. I think the evidence is overwhelming. Why? Because I believe it. Just like John, looking inside, he saw and he believed. Remember the angel told the women who first came to the tomb with the spices for the body of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. The angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Do you see it? Do you believe it this day? Do you believe what the Bible, God's Word, says? As we have the opportunity this afternoon, some of us, as we go to spend time with friends and family. You have the opportunity to share what the message was that you heard on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. What was the message? It's the message of the gospel, is it not? Simply put, broken down, Jesus dying for our sins and being raised from the dead so that we can be raised together in Him, ourselves. Amen? There's many of us here today who have already and we continue to believe. As we always ask, if you're here this morning and have not yet believed, we want to give you the opportunity to do so. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And he's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for who? For all who will believe.